You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 151 of the Comic Book Informer, coming to you on December 10th. And Roger, I'm sorry I made you read bad comics again. I didn't mind this that much. I didn't. I didn't. You you have a lot more hatred for Azazel than I do. So much so that I'm actually going to put off that conversation just for a few minutes. <laughs> actually, did you see the uh, completely off topic, and then you can go on your tangent. Did you watch the new Wolverine yet? No, I have not. Okay, we'll wait for that discussion then until you see it. Okay. Uh, I will put it on the list of things to do somewhere in the vicinity of Christmas. Yes, when you have a free minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, this uh, past week was actually pretty interesting to observe how all the other major studios with uh, superhero properties are really just trying to be Marvel, if you will. Like, we've seen the huge success Marvel be Studios Marvel. has been with all their films, obviously, <laughs> and it's left everybody else completely scrambling <laughs> and like well realizing that their best efforts at least as far as their studio execs and their stockholders are concerned aren't good enough we had uh brian singer come out the other day and has already announced the next x-men film coming out in 2016 x-men apocalypse days of future past is like still six months yeah. away isn't it <laughs> yeah and honestly there's things that i'm hearing about that that have got me scratching my head thinking "Ooh, really I don't know. But but now the studios need to show that they have this big connected plan and you know they're they're planning out their storylines several movies in advance because well that's the way Marvel does it. Are they Okay, no. I again I've I've heard some things but I haven't like sat down and read crap loads about it and whatnot. Are they even acknowledging X3 in it? I believe so, yes. Okay. Cuz man, as far, I, that's as, far they, as I know everything is in continuity. Yeah, cuz they did some of that for the Wolverine. They actually acknowledged Dextrina three, and I was thinking you should like completely sever that limb. Like, don't even pretend like you know what that is. Damn it! But it's true. It is. I stand by that shit. <laughs> it is. And it was like I was watching that, thinking, "Oh my god, you should not." Oh, that did not need to be in there at all. <laughs> all right. So and we also we have Warner Brothers with their uh, you know DC properties. How now the sequel to Man of Steel will be co-starring Batman and now Wonder Wonder Woman. Woman, Yeah, (laughs) like this is not a Justice League movie. This is literally the sequel to the Superman solo film that might have Superman somewhere in it at this point. Because, well, if you have all these characters, they all have to be sharing a movie because that's what Marvel does. What was the animated one that they did that with? Oh, crap. Now I'm not going to be able to remember. They do that a lot, though, with the DC properties. Um, mm-hmm. Hell, you, you don't have to look any further than the, the Lego Batman 2 game. The, the Batman 2 game is actually a full-blown Justice League game. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they do that with a lot of different properties, and they're animated ones as well, too. We watched a, a few of their animated ones recently as well, including the second part of the Dark Knight one, which I really enjoyed, actually. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, it just seems that seeing how this project has evolved from going, okay, yeah, there's a sequel to Man of Steel, then announcing, well, it's Batman and Superman. And 
it, like with each time goes by, it almost seems like there's some higher up in the company going, put more heroes in the movie. We need to make it more like the Avengers. Well, we, we exactly. can't wait another filming cycle to, to have a Justice League movie out. The thing is, though, and I mean, you enjoyed Man of Steel a hell of a lot more than I did. And the prospect of a sequel to Man of Steel held absolutely no interest for me. So when they announced the Batman in there, I thought, okay, now that could work. I mean, I know you're shoehorning it into a Man of Steel sequel when, in fact, it's a Batman-Superman movie, but I'm fine with that. I'm not so well, fine with I mean, Ben now Affleck. That, now that but... you've seen Man of Steel, I can say that, at least personally, I thought there was actually a lot of interesting room to go with like a straight Man of Steel sequel of you know having Superman dealing with all of the destruction and everything that, that was caused and having him try to be a better hero. And that's also the perfect time to introduce Lex Luthor. As you know, the savior of Metropolis, the guy that's rebuilding the city and giving him a real legitimate reason to hate and fear Superman. I, I thought that would have been a good direction to take the story, but that's but just me. That's a pretty dramatic superhero show versus having something with good chemistry and a lot of action like a good buddy movie kind of thing. They're throwing in this kind of love triangle thing as well, potentially with with Wonder Woman. Or just somebody it's, in it's, pants. it's obviously too early to judge anything one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Even though the movie is supposed to be out at the same time as the next Avengers. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I am happier that they're shooting in both of those than just having a plain old Man of Steel. But that's yeah. a personal thing because of what I thought of the first one, obviously. <laughs> and also, now we have over at Sony who only has one superhero property, and that's Spider-Man. So they can't really do a team-up or anything that crazy with him. So as we saw with the uh, trailer that premiered last week for Amazing Spider-Man 2, they're just putting all the villains in it. They're, they're doing a reverse Avengers. And you have one hero and all the villains, because in the trailer, we clearly see Green Goblin, Rhino, and Electro. They tease Vulture and Dr. Octopus, and they even go so far as to show six numbered bays in the Oscorp building, if you will, of course, teasing the possibility of a whole Sinister Six thing. And this coming completely out of nowhere is what strikes me like as the least likable part of this because I, I, we've both said we did not enjoy the first film at all. Although from what they showed in the trailer, like there were some really good action sequences for the second movie, which uh, you know at least it's going to look pretty. Well, Just don't yeah, but listen to Jamie Foxx's Electro. It's the character, though. That's the thing. I mm-hmm. mean, we don't like the character, this Peter Parker incarnation kind of thing. So if you don't like the character, the action scenes are only going to do so much, which is exactly the problem I had with Man of Steel. So it's going to be the same mm-hmm. thing. Now, granted, this. Parker, I can't remember the dude's name who acted it. Andrew Garfield. Yeah, a lot more dynamic on the screen, but he wasn't supposed to be, but he at least he was. So there's mm-hmm. more to watch on the screen that's more interesting. It just kind of plays willy-nilly with the canon. But, you know, having conversations with people who are all excited of having all these villains and stuff going on, are like, well, what makes the Secret Six, sorry, Secret, Secret Six, Six, the Sinister Dude. Six. Yeah. Secret Six is a completely that's, different, that's amazing thing. Spider-Man 3. <laughs> that's coming up soon. <laughs> what makes the Sinister Six so awesome when in the comics is that each of the villains is a pure threat to Spider-Man on their own. So having them band together is, of course, yeah, huge. It, it's always been you know a gigantic challenge for Spider-Man to get past even two of them, let alone six. So, but 
that only works if you establish all of the villains first. If you have them immediately showing up and immediately getting doing this whole big team-up thing, it represents less of a threat to Spider-Man and being less interesting overall. And then you also have that all the villains, at least presumably from what we've seen in the, in the footage and what we know of the story, all basically have the same origin, that all the villains are coming from Oscorp. You know, the various uh, research and development stuff, it's it takes away what makes the Spider-Man villains so unique. And Spider-Man, I will say, has the best villains in all of comics. And I'm including Batman in that discussion. I, I love all the Spider-Man villains. So taking away the uniqueness of the characters is, again, just kind of just going through the motions without realizing what makes the motions so interesting in the first place. Well, they're dumbing you down to basically for audiences that don't know that canon, but also just to compress it into those few hours that they have to play mm-hmm. with. And that's, I agree, it takes away from it a hell of a lot. Yeah, in in the effort of going bigger, louder, and flashier, you're losing the actual interesting parts of it. I'm not going to lie to you, and I, <laughs> this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody, but <laughs> if they made a Spider-Man do this for the third one, that actually was what is happening now with the superior Spider-Man. Never. If they did that in a concise two-hour movie, they could have something that is balls-to-the-wall, insane, fun to watch. I would, oh my God, I I would love to see something like that well-handled. I, I, I don't have faith in anybody being able to pull that I, off. I do. I do. It could be done. It definitely could be done, and it could be done well. I mean, I could see scripts for that in my head easily that are that even diehard fans would enjoy simply because you would incorporate a lot more things into it that, say, we haven't seen yet. So, I mean, you're, you're making up stuff, but by then, that storyline should probably be done. So you're kind of having the underdog being Peter trying to get back into his body and whatnot, it could be handled really, really, I mean, it could be screwed up, but it could be handled very well also. Mm -hmm. So I've decided next week we're actually going to uh, cover some Spider-Man villain stories because, well, we love talking about Spider-Man on our podcast. (laughs) And I will be later. (laughs) Okay, did I kill enough time? Can we just go on to what we're reading? By all means. <laughs> no. uh, the actual planned discussion for this week is uh, the Uncanny X-Men storyline from 2003 of the Draco. Uh, started in issue 428 with a prologue and then 429 through 434 for the proper story. And the reason I've decided to subject myself to a storyline I know I hate <laughs> is because we've seen Azazel popping up in Amazing X-Men and it's just... That character, that name alone just gives me a bad feeling, and it's because of this. <laughs> really? Why? We're getting to it. All right. All right. The comic is written by Chuck Austin with a multitude of artists. We had Sean Phillips on the uh, prologue issue, and we're going to talk about the art here at first because uh, the Phillips art, it's not bad, but definitely far from the best I've seen from him. We had Philip Tan doing issues uh, 429 through 433, and we said before the 90s weren't limited to the calendar. (laughs) The 90s ran from about 94 until – some point in the middle of the 2000s when they finally got a lot of that out of their system because oh, this, was, this was somebody had posters of Leafield work on their walls oh growing God. up and it was like wanted to be him. Oh God, was it terrible or what? 
because I mean, it, it, anatomy was a dirty word here. <laughs> I mean, and the the character it had that that nineties you know gritty feel of just lines all over everything, a thousand lines on everybody's face. It makes them look detailed, and no, it doesn't make them look detailed. It makes them look awful. It makes them look sketchy. You know, lack of backgrounds. I honestly, there were points where I didn't even know what character I was looking at, like. Iceman, Havoc, and Angel all looked the same to me, unless Iceman was wearing his stupid glasses or Havoc had his silver thing on his head. Jesus, some of the shots of Xavier. You're like, (laughs) what is... People's heads don't look like that, buddy. Like, that's just wrong. And then the same thing, too, once again, where you're going, somebody really needs to go to a class on female anatomy. Because this is not what a woman looks like. It was... And this was the age, too. (laughs) And even though I wasn't reading comics at this time, but I remember shit like this. Damn it again. (laughs) When Wolverine's (laughs) claws are longer than his entire arm. (laughs) This is unbendable adamantium. Okay, folks? If it folds down into his arm, his forearm, it cannot. They cannot be longer than his forearm, not from his forearm to the tip of his fist either, because then he wouldn't be able to bend his wrist. Forearm only. These claws are and, like... And Wolverine's only five feet tall, yeah, so his arms are that long to begin with. Yeah, these claws are longer than his torso, his entire torso, and, and curved as well, of course. It was like, oh my God, people, seriously? <laughs> and, but the the... Like the most hilarious thing, and every time it, I saw it on panel, I literally laughed, was his interpretation of Jubilee. Now, first of all, what role did Jubilee serve in this story? She had no reason to even be there in the first place, but they shoehorned her in there so she could have one panel of attempting to do something. But it's like it's like Philip Tan had never seen Jubilee before. And I'm willing to accept, you know, different artistic interpretations of a character as long as they're recognizable as that character. He just drew generic Asian girl number four and put pink sunglasses on her. Yeah. I'm looking at one on page, what is this, 25 in issue number 430. And you look at the Xavier that's on this, and it is downright frightening. He's got these jowls that look like they belong on a bulldog. And... It looks nothing like any of the other Xaviers in the other two books. It's just, this art is horrendous. Absolutely. This would be like if I was running this place. I'm sorry, you're fired. Don't don't ever come back. <laughs> and then for the final issue, we had uh, Takeshi Miyazawa, and I actually did like his art in that final issue. I'm trying to remember. They, I found it was way too cartoony. Everybody looked like they were kids. True. Everybody looked like they were seriously teenage years or even younger. I thought this was... It was a vast improvement, though, so I was willing to accept it. I was not. I honestly, because you're looking at some of these characters and it's like, this is the climax to what they're trying to set up as this powerful, crazy story with a lot of dark elements and whatnot. And... Nightcrawler looks like he's a kid. 
like, I mean, seriously, look at some of these pictures of Nightcrawler, and he looks like he's not even a teenager in some of them. And then look at Juggernaut. Oh, my well, God. That might make sense, given the story point we're going to get to. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, no, I'm sorry. I was not a fan of this. It's, the art was, was good. It just really didn't did, fit it the didn't story fit. Yeah. at all, at all, at all. Uh, I'm willing to agree with you there. And going back to the uh, Philip Tan issues, there are some shots of Azazel that are gorgeous. Like they're wonderfully rendered. Like it's, it had to have been a different artist that drew Azazel on those panels. <laughs> like it did not fit at all with the rest of the artwork there. It's like they cut and pasted somebody else's artwork into the issue. Seriously, some of the shots of Mystique too, it's like that is one scary broad. <laughs> Because especially in the first one, it's like that is look at that forehead and the the print how they he pronounced the the eyes and sunk them in and everything and it's like that is frightening. She needs the power to look like somebody else because wow. Mm-hmm. All right, into the story. Uh, we had that first prologue issue, which focused almost solely on Mystique as uh, she was masquerading as Lady Wagner, uh, this uh, Baroness in somewhere in Eastern Europe. <laughs> it's like it had to That's be in the, in the, spot in the realm of people. Germany somewhere. But as she, it just <laughs> right off the bat, we have just sex everywhere and she's just banging every guy in town. And it, and it was like, okay, you know, it's pretty bad, but she says she's basically it. She wants a child and her husband can't give it to her. At this point, she's trying to live a normal life. She hasn't become the mystique we know. Until she meets this man, Azazel, a a ruler of a tiny little island off the coast of uh, Bermuda in the Atlantic Ocean. And she falls in love with Azazel. Azazel, again, (laughs) having sex with her in the church, just being as awful as possible. And she's going along with it. It knocks her up and then runs off and she has the baby. And that's what we know of as the uh, origin of Nightcrawler. This did have some importance because it was the storyline that finally confirmed after a couple decades that, yes, Mystique is Nightcrawler's mother. It had always been assumed because it had been hinted at enough times, but it was never officially confirmed until now. The big issue with this is Chuck Austin sets this specifically 20 years ago. And I know timelines and comics are a very fluid thing, but that means we have to accept that Nightcrawler is at most 20 years old at the point of any of the X-Men comics are being told. I mean, you have to figure, yeah, okay, the stuff that was in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't 20 years prior to this, but it was at least a few years. So are you telling me all those great stories, you know, his time with Excalibur and all that, he was like 15? <laughs> It, I don't understand why he would put such a hard date specifically on this story because it does not fit at all with continuity. Not going to disagree. I thought the very same thing. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm not a huge continuity nut, but stuff at least needs to make sense at some point. Yeah. No, again, not disagreeing. And I, I mean, I, it'd be very easy to nitpick, honestly, and it's a little too easy, and that's why I, won't bother but it's mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying it's a it's an issue about mystique banging everybody and getting them in trouble and it's cliched stupidity and and i like kurt too much for that <laughs> <laughs> he deserves a better story than this than his mm-hmm. mom shagging everybody in town and then of course the thing with azazel too is like oh come on it, it, it just comes off 
far too cliched as well. So it's not something that was fun to read. It was just kind of slog through it and hope it gets better. Mm -hmm. So into the actual Draco itself, we have uh, Nightcrawler leaving the mansion in the middle of the night, stealing one of the X-Jets. And obviously this is not normal for him. Uh, So all the X-Men are getting together. (laughs) This was the time when uh, a lot of the X-Men were going through secondary mutations, where it was basically writers coming up with random stuff and hoping it stuck. <laughs> this is where we had, uh, you know, Grant Morrison established with uh, Emma Frost's diamond form body. That was her secondary mutation. He wrote it well. <laughs> Having, you know, stuff like, I don't even know who established it, but Angel's blood has healing powers now. If You, you know, if you, if you get a blood transfusion from Angel, all of your wounds and illnesses are magically healed. And, and as we see here at the beginning of the story, Bobby is basically just entirely made out of ice now. And that's a story point that will come back later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're all uh, hunting down, uh, trying to figure out what happened with Nightcrawler. And through their cerebro and everything, they find out that Nightcrawler, uh, as well as Abyss, another mutant they've been uh, keeping tabs on, and several other teleporters are all converging on an island in the Atlantic Ocean, which is, of course, uh, the island Azazel was from 20 years in the past, the Isla dos Delmones. Three guesses what that means. Uh, And uh, in a previous storyline, Havoc had investigated it and found out that that island was actually home to a prehistoric race of mutants thousands of years ago. So we have the team going to rescue Nightcrawler of Wolverine, Havoc, Iceman, Angel, Husk, and that thing that's supposed to be Jubilee. (laughs) Again, she has has no reason being there. And uh, the kid Carter stows along. At this point, uh, Havoc was in a relationship with Dr. Annie, and, uh, you know, Carter was... stowed away in the back of the X-Jet and followed them into hell. Literally. Because when they get to the island, there's this big uh, summoning portal thing going on with Nightcrawler, everybody else are summoning some sort of army from beyond the veil, if you will. Uh, God, I'm trying to go through this as quickly and painlessly as possible. (laughs) And uh, basically, all of everybody gets sucked back into this other realm, which, again, bears a startling resemblance to hell. Uh, During all this, Iceman is hit with an exploding arrow, shatters, just leaving his head behind, which the X-Men were carrying around for the next four issues. (laughs) But this is where we get to the most problematic part of this. I don't even know if it's the most problematic, but one of the most problematic parts of the story. And that is, who exactly is Azazel? Obviously, he's not some lord from an island. He is a member of that race of prehistoric mutants who has apparently been alive all these thousands of years. They kind of glossed over that fact of some of these characters seem to have been around for thousands of years without aging and no real explanation as to why that was a thing. And he was able to occasionally make trips into our world for the sole purpose of impregnating as many people as possible so that he could use his genetic connection to his offspring to mind control them into summoning him back to our world. Where he was already to impregnate those women. I can accept that to the point where he was able to come through himself, but he wanted to bring everybody else with him, and he needed uh, a little more juice for that. Although it was never stated in the story. That's purely implication. Because he really cares about all these other people that are there. He makes that abundantly clear. 
Mm-hmm. So apparently Azazel was living on this island you know, thousands of years ago with uh, other members of his tribe, if you will. And they were the, you know, the Magnetos of their time of, you know, they felt that, you know, they, they knew they were better than everybody else. Time to subjugate and kill all the humans. At which point the angel tribe kicked them out of Earth. <laughs> just, just stuck them in another dimension. And that was the end of that. So we also have angel here. And of course, everybody's freaking out like, oh, it's an angel. It's an angel. Like, no, it's not an angel. It's just some guy with wings. Angel tries to heal Kurt using his magic blood and ends up burning Kurt because apparently there's some sort of issue when you mix angel blood with demon blood. And mind you, that's a plot point that is never, ever mentioned again. (laughs) The fact that apparently Angel has some sort of fantastic lineage going back thousands of years never once comes up again in the history of X-Men comics. As a matter of fact, they wrote out that whole secondary mutation healing thing as quickly as imaginable. I think they just forgot about it that it ever happened. (laughs) Yeah. Can you blame them? No. Because the whole thing here with Azazel making his trips to Earth over the thousands of years is that Azazel is the devil. Not the actual devil of which a dozen or so already exist in the Marvel Universe, a thought Chuck Austin completely neglected to consider. But a lot of these stories of you know the devil throughout the years were based on Azazel's actions. And this is really my biggest problem with this because the core of Nightcrawler's character over the decades was that people were judging him based on his appearance. Oh, it's a demon. He's a terrible person. And a lot of Nightcrawler's character development over the years was based on that, trying to be as good of a person as possible to prove to people that just because he looked a certain way that, you know, that didn't mean he was a demon from hell to the point where he, I don't know if he ever finished his training, but he was actually working on actually becoming a a priest in the church. So what the storyline does is goes, oh, that's great. No, you actually are a demon from hell. You're the son of Satan. Yeah. And it just ruins Nightcrawler's character completely. I, I bad stories. I can handle bad stories. I've read plenty of bad stories. I can handle bad writing. I can handle stuff that doesn't make sense. But when you ruin one of my favorite characters, don't do that. Yeah, but they they kind of say later on too that he's not really Satan. He's just kind of pretending. Yeah, but it's. It, I'm, it, I'm it's not going to. It's still I know what the you mean. core concept. It yeah. does not sit well with me, and it doesn't with me either. When he starts calling himself the devil, and uh, yes, I'm also known as a. I'm going to oh, come on, buddy. <laughs> like really, this is <laughs> kind of stupid. Yeah, like, like like he rattles off several names of characters that already exist in the Marvel universe. Yeah. <laughs> like there is an actual hell. There is an actual Satan. Like. Wolverine went there a couple years ago, met the guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, like it's just part of the, you know the the lore of the Marvel universe that is completely again, I'm not a huge continuity nut, but it has to at least make sense. It has to fit together. This is the biggest square peg that's never going to fit through that round hole. <laughs> I, and I, we have any other number of issues with the storyline. Like I said, you know Bobby's a disembodied ice head. And <laughs> Part of me wishes they had actually gone through with it to make it even worse, but it's strongly (laughs) suggested at one point that Bobby is going to have to reform his body out of the pee of his teammates. And I understand he was just talking big, but 
for Havoc to even mention that he thinks he's full enough to have enough to build another person out of it, I that has to hurt. <laughs> it was pretty stupid. It was exceptionally stupid. And you know, to even consider making that even a joke in the comic brings everything down just another level. But by then, I was already kind of like... yeah clocking out especially because there was too much going on with the other story elements oh, that yeah, they there's were two che- completely other storylines yeah. going on at the same time and we neither have- of them were good so <laughs> like making a joke about someone's pee at this point i'm like whatever <laughs> like we have the whole thing going on of xavier going into polaris's memory and this incessant cat fighting between Polaris and Annie because of course Polaris and Havoc used to be an item and now Havoc's with Annie and you know it's it it's all the worst things we hate about romantic drama in comics although I actually did like a lot of the juggernaut stuff uh, this whole era of X-Men this was right around the time I was starting to read again like I'd maybe been reading for a year previously to this and I really liked the storyline that the multiple writers Grant Morrison not Chuck Austin, <laughs> but the, everybody that was involved, the developments they were doing with Juggernaut's character and his redemption and how he came, he was basically just using the mansion as a sanctuary, a place to hide out. And the character bond that was forming between him and his stepbrother, Xavier. Like, I loved the scene in, uh, I think it was the first issue here, of him with Xavier and them dealing with... Uh, the effects of you know the, growing up with their father beating them and all that. I thought that was some really good character stuff. And as he was there, he made this friendship with one of the students, Sammy, and it really softened the character, made Juggernaut very interesting, and the way it all paid off. Like I really liked the whole Juggernaut storyline that was going on in this time period across the titles. Now, once in this particular story, once he gets up to Canada and starts punching people through buildings, it loses that focus. But there is a a core of a good story here that just wasn't, didn't have a good finale, if you will. It had some good elements. It also had a lot of cliched elements. And then it had elements that were downright stupid and bad. The entire flight with Northstar, where they have to go through this gay thing. And I'm going come on that was painful to read it was so terrible and then again it's the idea of yes he was abused but he grew up to be this massive thing goes back and beats the crap out of his dad it's like that's you know now so and then of course there has to be the accident where the unwitting mother gets damaged killed you know Mm -hmm. and uh, there were far too many elements that were so unbearably cliche that honestly I I didn't enjoy it. I said as part of the whole saga of Juggernaut that was going on at the time, it it, it was an important chapter. Was that I I really did like that uh, first conversation between him and Xavier. Right. So I'm just pretty much going to abandon everything else here because I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but but now you know, like w- just the concept of Azazel sets up a red flag for me. And we have yet to see what Jason Aaron is doing specifically with Azazel in uh, Amazing X-Men, although issue two was freaking awesome. Uh (laughs) And so I'm hoping a good writer can turn this around, but until I actually see it, I'm unfortunately never going to believe it. Like the character again in this little story arc ticked me off at points and it was eye-rolling stupid. 
But that's often how it is with some of mm-hmm. these villains. So it was not that that terrible that I would single it out and hate the character just because of that. I think the character still could be done well. And I'm mm-hmm. betting you Jason Aaron probably will. So He's we'll had see. a couple years to figure out this story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, if they'd done something similar with almost any other character, I'd forgive it. But it's Kurt. <laughs> All right, into what we're reading. I actually have not been reading a whole heck of a lot of anything lately, but I did uh have a couple to talk about. Uh first of all, The Wake, the uh the series from Scott Snyder. Have you read anything past that first issue that we read? Nope. Okay. Remember how all there was a whole lot of stuff going on and none of it really made sense? Yep. It was pretty much like that throughout the first four issues, Ooh. but in a good way. Like they're, they're, the majority of the story was following, you know, the oceanographer and everything going down on at the bottom of the ocean. But they just kept giving you these glimpses of just weird stuff in the past and the future. And it, it did not tie together until the end of the fourth issue. But once it did holy crap, I am fully on board with the last four issues of this storyline now. Like, I'm really liking the way Snyder pulled all the elements together. And it wasn't like, a, oh, it was just a bunch of stuff floating around. It, it was purposefully paced this way for this particular reveal, and it was great. Hmm. Cool. All right. And then also uh, Marvel Knights X-Men. I read the first two issues. So did I. Um, I looked at the Marvel Knights Spider-Man Really didn't seem like my thing, so I didn't read it. Did you even read that one? I read the first one only. Yeah, worth it? It just seemed a I little too trippy no. and out there. Like I, <laughs> honestly, I no, I would skip it. Okay. However, I actually did enjoy uh, the first two issues of Marvel Knights X Men. It's a much smaller story. Like it's not your typical X Men story. It's just got uh, Wolverine, Kitty, and Rogue going off into you know those backwoods area trying to help out a couple mutants that might be in danger and it's just it's a very small story it's a very character focused story but i think it's a good story in contrast to all the big crazy stuff that's typically going on in x-men comics i'm not enjoying it really to tell you the Hmm. truth i'm not crazy about the story and the art is and the art's a little i i don't want to say it's bad it's i do it's it's of a certain style. <laughs> no, I'll say yeah, it's bad. I think it's bad. <laughs> you don't have to agree with me, but man, I do not like it at all. So, okay. and then the story is—I found the story to be far too generic. Mm-hmm. Bad things happen because of a mutant. Go get the mutant. Bad things happen while trying to get mutant. I'm assuming everybody's going to go home happy later. So there's—it's far too generic a story. All right, I got gotcha. you. And like, that's actually all I have for this week. Well, then I will cover us. Ha-ha. Well, Little... there, was, there were one or two others, but I know you're going to yell at me if I say them. <laughs> all right. Well, actually, I'm going to start off with Little Victory. Number four came out. Yeah, Finally. I heard you say you got that. Oh, right the day. <laughs> it was like, it's out. <laughs> I'm on Lulu.com. I'm ordering. <laughs> I have no problem supporting him with this stuff. It's So this is uh, Philip Jackson that we had on the show, and it's issue number four of seven. So like we talked about this when it was when he was on the show and how much we really enjoyed the first three issues. This is just as good, if not better. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Now, some of it is, again, stuff that we've seen often in other comic books. You know, this these scientists that are trying to mutate people and working at, 
inserting them with different things and whatnot. So it's definitely nothing new. But as I've often said too, you know, it's how it's handled. Uh, cliche is fine as long as it's well handled. And this was. I freaking loved it. I I love the characters, obviously. I mean, we we actually see a lot less of little victory in this. You're seeing a lot mm. of the other people, including the quote unquote villains in the story kind of thing. And man, I absolutely loved it. And then the art style, of course, was just so freaking gorgeous. <laughs> so yeah, I highly recommend this. And if you haven't got the first three, go to his site. You can go to the place and get them all digitally. I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, of course, uh, oh, actually, you know what? Before I get to Spider-Man, because it's obvious I'm going to talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a chance to read um, Con? No, I actually have not yet. Yeah, because three came out. And are you going to read this? Probably not. Okay, fine. Then I'm not, not because I don't want to, just... No, no, that's, that's fine. I just, just, you know, don't want to spoil anything if you're going to read no, it. No, go for it. So, again, this is taking don't place... Don't ruin it for our listeners. <laughs> no, I, I don't care. So we're looking at the period when they had these experiments on the kids, made them into these essentially super soldier kind of things, and which is what we know from the canon as well. But, of course, this is... Khan is East Indian, and you have him and others working together to overthrow the world and take over different portions of the world, which they've kind of renamed the continents and the borders of where each other's uh, reign is essentially. And then you have how once they start doing that, some of them handle it better than others. So some of them just get so hungry for power that that's all they care about and eventually the people start to revolt and you have these terrible things happening in those countries including like the american area there's a huge revolt there's other sections of the world as well where they really revolt against their leaders because the leaders aren't leading by making the people happy but rather making themselves either richer or whatever and it's made obvious too that there's a lot more of the the people than of these enhanced people kind of thing so if a country does revolt it's going to be bad whereas khan actually believes in making his people happy and not just having all of this wealth for himself and things like that, but actually bringing harmony to his people and and understanding that his power is in their devotion to him. So in terms of a dictator, he's pretty damn good, you know, (laughs) still a dictator, but good. And so we have this great character development going on because the people that he had banded with, to do this while well, they're no longer the people they used to be to the point of attacking each other's regions as well, because they want more power, more people. And so he eventually does get invaded as well, which leads him to become that, which he did not want to. One of these people who then says, you know what, guess what? While you were attacking me, you left all your forces. You brought them here. We've already beat them easily. And now your country is no longer defended we're already taking it over as we speak. So great stuff. Like I'm Mm -hmm. 
I am so impressed with this little mini series. A series? I shouldn't. That sounds condescending, but man, I am like super impressed with this. I really recommend people check it out. It's good. Cool. Okay, let's go straight to Superior Spider-Man. Of course, <laughs> with the fight with Venom stuff. This is freaking awesome. Uh, it's a big surprise. <laughs> but the stuff going on with okay, well, before we even honestly, the Venom stuff was just getting away in the way of Aunt May and Anna Marie. <laughs> There's that too. But first and foremost, Ramos is back. Well, I don't know for how long. I don't care, man. He, it's it's unbelievable how much I identify him as the Spider-Man artist. It, it just, and he does. He knocks us out. This is mm-hmm. God damn. Is it ever great? Um, but the story-wise, we have this. I I am just as interested in in, in fact. I'm more interested in the Peter stuff, which it should say auto from now on the auto stuff with the real people in his life, like Anna Maria, who, who dude, I love her so much. <laughs> so, so much. It's going to uh, be so terrible when the goblin throws her off a bridge. Oh, why did you even have to say that? That's okay. Otto's better than Peter. Otto's going to save her. Okay. But the stuff with her, dude, there's some shots where she's looking at up, up at him and she's got her, her hands, her little hands crossed under her chin and stuff. And it's like, I could eat you up right now. Uh, but the stuff with her and Aunt May, like you were saying too, inserting that, that subtle discomfort in those old prejudices that May is so damn sweet that you know she doesn't mean anything bad and yet I mean it's still it is one of those again old things that you would you would you you come across more from it's like that generation had less of a problem saying things like this even though it's not right kind of thing so but I'm enjoying just that more even than like the stuff with like venom it's just all of it is so damn good See, like some people were pointing at that whole breakfast table scene of like, oh, Aunt May, she's such, you know, how can she say that? Like, listen, we've all been in that awkward family situation where you, you know, accidentally say one thing and it just snowballs from there. Like, I don't think Aunt Aunt May was like terrified that, you know, Peter was going to have little person babies. It was just, you know, she was legitimately curious and she said it in a bad way. And it just, it became one of those incredibly awkward conversations that just gets worse the more you open your mouth. But it was set up as well before when she notices her in the, in the, the, the science lab as well, mm-hmm. where she makes the comment. So it's set up a couple of times and I attributed, attributed it more to, again, someone from that generation Oh yeah, thinking that it's all right to say something like this when it's not, but she definitely doesn't mean anything bad. But again, just going back to saying the regular people folk and not the superhero and supervillains is just as interesting, if not better than what's going on with the superhero, the spandex tights. And, uh, which shows again, the strength of the writing, which Mm -hmm. just never ceases to amaze me. So, yeah. So I'll stop at that. All right. So then for this week's new releases from Marvel, we have cable and X force number 17, captain America, number 14. We have cataclysm for both the ultimates and ultimate Spider-Man, both issue two. We have the third Marvel night series with Hulk. Number one, 
Mighty Avengers number four, Nova number 11, Superior Foes of Spider-Man number six, Thunderbolts number 19, Uncanny X-Men number 15, Wolverine number 12, and Wolverine and the X-Men number 39. Uh, some of them are solicited with the dot nows and the dot inhs after them, but I'm not playing that game. Yeah, really. <laughs> And I think they're they're not like in between issues. It's just replacing. So if it's going to be fourteen dot whatever, I'm just calling it fourteen. <laughs> From DC, we have issue twenty six for Batgirl, Batman, Justice League, and Nightwing. We have Forever Evil, Arkham War number three. We have uh, the premiere of Justice League three thousand number one, which I've been actually looking forward to for quite a while until they fired their artist and had to start over from scratch. And we also have Justice League of America number 10 and Superman Wonder Woman number 3. From our smaller publishers, from Avatar, we have Uber number 8. From IDW, we have an interesting new series called Indestructible. Uh, it starts with issue 1, of course. I'm interested in checking that one out. As well as Powerpuff Girls number 4. From Image, we have a big lineup from them this week. We have Chu number 38, Invincible number 107, Lazarus number 5, Manifest Destiny number 2, 3 number 3, and Walking Dead number 118. And rounding out the list, we have Archer and Armstrong number 16 from Valiant. So that's going to wrap us up here at the Comic Book Informer podcast. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next time, thanks for listening. My name is Vince, and I don't do dots. That's, uh-huh. that's, that's our PSA announcement for the day. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>